Acts 15, beginning in verse 41 in just a moment. Uh, Noel, out of Latin, uh, gives us birth. He's born. Uh, it's the birthday of a king. Two weeks from today, Christmas morning is the day that uh, we celebrate the birthday of the king. So I want to encourage you that you're here next Sunday. We'll continue in the book of Acts, and then we'll transition into Christmas preaching on Christmas Eve at 4, 6, 11 o'clock. And then John and I will go home, take a nap, and come back. And we'll be here for 10 o'clock. Now, Sunday morning, Christmas morning, will be altogether different than the services at 4, 6, and 11 on Christmas Eve. So I hope you'll join us, not only on Christmas Eve, but back on Sunday morning for one service. We gather together here as well as on the Warrington campus at 10 o'clock. And several people have said, you know, Pastor, that's going to present some issues uh, for us. Uh, we do our Christmas uh, morning. Well, let me encourage you. Your gift giving is important. Your children are important. But nothing is more important in our culture than getting before them whose birthday that it is. So I encourage you, you'll find church important on Christmas Day. Acts 15. We begin in verse 41 in just a moment. We're preaching through Acts, and we came through the 15th chapter, and you remember last uh, couple of three weeks that uh, we've been on the first missionary trip with Paul, and then they've gathered at Jerusalem, and there they've had that church council discussing salvation is by Christ and Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. It is Jesus sufficient to save, and then they get ready to go out into this second missionary trip. We had to talk about John Mark last week and uh, how he's moved on to go with Barnabas. And now Paul and Silas are ready to strike out on this second missionary trip. And we come to Acts 15, 41, reading through the chapter break into chapter 16 to verse number 5, a message entitled, Strengthening the Churches. Strengthening the Churches. Listen now, because this is the word of our great God. And he, that is Paul, was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man, this man Timothy, to go with him, and he took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. It is a sad day when a local church closes its doors and is no more. But I share with you, I believe it to be a sadder day when a church remains open and has forgotten its purpose. And that body is just going through religious rigor in order to do a function 
that is absent the command of Jesus. A church can die and yet remain open. Revelation chapter 2, we read of the seven churches, the first of which is Ephesus. And Jesus said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did it first. Or else, if you don't repent and begin to do what I called you to do, I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You see, the light can go out in a church. The church dare never let the lamplight of the gospel go out. Now, Paul was a church planter, no doubt. He planted churches everywhere he went. He planted here and here and here and here and there and over here. And the cities, there would be a church raised up. But then he would go back to those churches, not as a, as a planter, but as a man of giving strength to the church. Episterizo, strengthening the churches. Verse 41, they were going to strengthen the churches. Verse number 5, they were strengthened in their faith. If you go back to chapter 15 and verse 32, they strengthened the brethren. If you go back to chapter 14 and verse 22, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Episterizo, that's the same word again and again and again and again. That word episterizo means to make stable. Have you seen when we'll have a hurricane and, and the water keeps washing and then all of a sudden they'll show you a building and it's because the foundation's going washed out from it. They have to come in and do something to stabilize that building. This is that word, to make it stable, to give it a fixed point, to establish it, to place it firmly on a solid foundation. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here as he goes back to strengthen the churches. And he's going back to visit in these varied places where the churches were started. And now he's making a quick trip to episterizo, to strengthen, to bolster, to put on a firm footing. Olive, we must always strengthen the local church. How do we strengthen the churches? Well, many people can answer that. I'm just going to stand in heaven and answer for this church. And you will answer for the church you're a part of. Are we strengthening? Episterizo, are we strengthening the local church? How would we do that? Well, I want to show you four principles born right out of this text today that I want you to see with me. That we strengthen the church, number one, when young disciples are trained. When young disciples are trained. Notice Paul, Paul in verse uh, 1 goes back to Lystra and to Derby, and he finds a disciple there named Timothy. Now, you remember Lystra. That's the place of stoning. Paul was at Lystra, and they stoned him, drug him out to the city gate. Left him for dead, busted, and bruised, and bloody. His friends were looking at him. Is he dead or is he alive? The Bible says he got up. 
Now he's gone on to Jerusalem, shared. Now he's going back. One of the first stops is Lister. Hey, let me let you know a little secret. If your pastor is in Acts 16, he's not going to Lystra. I'm not going back to the place of stoning. Amen? I don't think I, but the Spirit of God leads him back to Lystra. And there he finds a young man who got saved during that first trip. I don't know if it's true or not. But I do know it's true that Paul watched Stephen be stoned and it changed his life. It could be that Timothy watched Paul be stoned and it changed his life. He finds this young man, devoted, and he said, I'd like to take him with me. And Timothy goes with Paul and Silas. and We find him again and again. He becomes a Bible writer. He becomes a man encouraging Paul and receiving letters from Paul. He's a young man, and the old man Paul teaches the young man. Church, we must forever be training up the generation behind us. There are five generations alive in the church today. In the generation coming behind you, you need to be coaching them up and bringing them up to where they go. Listen, sometimes it's not chronological. Sometimes the younger is older in the faith than the man that's older than you but younger in the faith. And you can train them up. But this general way is that this generation teaches the other, this generation teaches another. We find it in Titus chapter 2. Older women teach younger. Older men teach younger. I usually get male when I use the phrase older women, but you get the principle that's there. The mature, reaching. Hey, I, I was taught, not first in a Bible college or a seminary, the first time I was taught was across the street from Pisgah Church by Mr. Gamble in a little old building that was upstairs. We went, we had bought this building. Now the church sits there, but then we were in an old church across the street, and there was an old house, and we used that house to teach junior boys, of which I was one. And he sat and opened the Bible. That's the first time I, I realized how to memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. A man sat down with junior boys and taught us. We must ever be bringing along the coming generation. And Paul said to Timothy, now if you're going with me because your mother's Jewish and I believe your daddy's a Greek, you're not going to be believed and be believable as an evangelist unless you're circumcised. Now we know that Titus was the same, but he was not required to be. We settle that in Acts 15. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But Paul said, you're, you need to count the cost so that your influence will go farther. Listen to me. If you're going to grow a coming generation, never cut corners and share with them there is a cost for following Jesus. You cannot remain the same. You'll lose friends when you follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you lift him up, there'll be people that will oppose you. There's a cost involved, and we must ever be sharing that, that it's worth the stance, and we must take the stance, and we must exemplify our own stance of standing persistent even when it costs us. 
Sometimes you stand for Christ. Students, you'll have people turn their back on you. They won't vote for you for certain things. It's all right. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're in the one place that you really need be anyway. Yes, sir. Stand. Count the cost. And we must forever as an older generation be teaching a coming generation how they can live the Christ life. Number two, we will strengthen the church not only when young disciples are trained, but we strengthen the church when eternal truth is taught. When eternal truth is taught. Notice verse number four. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles, elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. We talked to you those last uh, two weeks ago. We looked at those three decrees. One dealing with not eating the blood. And uh, they dealt with those. And they did not have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. The New Testament was under construction. Hadn't come yet. We have a Bible, and these are the decrees that we teach, and we must never vary from the Word of God. Trevin Wax has just come with a new book. Trevin was a young student in Oradia, Romania, the first time I went to Romania. He was a student. He had moved there from America uh, to go to Romania. God had called him, and he went, and he was a student. And I went. You sent me four years in a row, four years. And the last thing I would do on the weekend, I would take the senior students, and I would go into the mountains, and there we had a retreat at a retreat center. Trevin was in that fourth class. He married a Romanian girl. Later moved back to America, went to work for Lifeway, and now is working for the North American Mission Board, the sister agency of the IMB. And he is a marvelous writer. And I humbly take credit for everything he's doing because I taught him in the woods in Romania. Amen. Oh, this man's got a mind like a steel trap. And he's written this new book. I've had two people give me copies of it in the last seven days. The Thrill, The Thrill of Orthodoxy by Trevin Wax. W-A-X. It's like you wax a car. Trevin, T-E-R-V-I-N, Trevin Wax. The Thrill. And all he's doing is just saying, get back, get back, get back to the basics of the Word of God. There are certain things we believe in we never deviate from because the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. It matters not what they vote on in Washington. It's what heaven has said. We must stand by the truth. So I want everybody to rise, stand to your feet, nobody leaving, everybody stand up. We're going to quote what we believe. We do this at the Lord's Supper, and so I'm going to give you a break. You stretch your legs. I'm halfway done. Look on the screen and say these words out loud with the pastor we believe. Here we go. Share this with me out loud now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church of the living God, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. You say, Pastor, that sounds a whole lot like the Apostles' Creed. It's close. I just baptized it a little several years ago. Changed a word or here or there to make it a little more olivized. But we believe these things. And we stand on these things. And we dare not deviate from these things. There are other things we believe, but these are our basic doctrine. We never read this, but I don't think of the time when in a certain church they were sharing the Apostles' Creed, and they had the children up, and they had given every child a line to say as they quoted it. And they went through, and they got down to the line, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And then nobody said anything. And the leader looked around and said, what is going on? One child said, the kid that believes in the Holy Ghost ain't here today. <laughs> Well, I'm telling you, we cannot be the kid that don't believe in the Holy Ghost, all right? We believe the Word of God, as we often say, from Genesis to maps, amen? And we must forever, if we're going to strengthen the church, teach eternal truth. Amen and amen. Thank you and be seated. Point number three, very quickly, you're halfway home with me today. The church is strengthened when Christians walk by faith. When we walk by faith, notice it in verse number 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith. I understand that in the faith means in the salvation. But they were walking not by sight, but walking in faith. Take your Bible. You've got it open right there. Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews with me. Chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. You got a Bible? Say amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 11. And look right here with me. Hebrews 11. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Verse 4, by faith Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. And then verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please the Lord our God. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. 21, by faith Jacob. 22, by faith Joseph. 23, by faith Moses. 20, uh, 31, by faith Rahab. And on and on and on. We see that our forefathers walked by faith and then we go through the chapter break to chapter 12. Therefore, since all of our forefathers walked by faith, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our what? Faith. Set your eyes on Jesus and walk not by sight. Walk by faith. You must believe what God said and stand on it no matter what you think you see coming. That's when you strengthen the church, when she becomes a body of faith. Major Ian Thomas from a generation of gold said this about faith. Major Thomas said, true faith is that disposition of heart that invokes the authority, the activity, excuse me, the activity of a second party, that second party being God. Your heart invokes the activity of another 
not your mama, not your daddy. You, you, you call on God to intervene. Amen. You cry out. And you stand and believe God. Manly Beasley, he scared me to death. That old prophet. I had him in my second church. He should have been dead 30 years before he died. He just kept living by faith. Manly said this. Faith is dependence upon God. And this God dependence only begins when self dependence ends. You got to stop trusting you and begin trusting God. Oh, Manly, he, he walked by faith. I remember sitting with him one time at Southern Baptist Convention. I was, I was sitting next to him listening to one of the greatest voices in Southern Baptist life. He was phenomenal. No, oh, he was preaching. He finished and the place stood and applauded, hollered amen. I looked at Manly. I said, man, what did you think about that? I will never forget the words. He looked me in the eye and he said, all polish, no power. I said, what? He said, keep your eye on him. Two years later, revelation came. He was being unfaithful to his wife when he preached that sermon. Was caught, left the ministry. All polish, no power. <laughs> From that daily the day Manly died, every time I'd see him, I'd start confessing my sins and then making up some. I'm, I'm telling you. I, I'm thinking, what's he know about me? But you got to walk by faith. And faith is dependence upon God. And this God dependence only begins when you stop trusting yourself. We have a problem at Olive. I'm going to tell you what the problem is. We have stopped trusting God the way we used to. How do I know that? Because on this second Sunday in December, we are already $325,000 over budget. You say, well, what's wrong with that? We're not trusting God enough. If God's going to bless, he must have something else for us to do. Now, I know some of you say, well, Pastor, he's just blessing us so we can get ahead a little in case we have a mess. We, we have a mess up account. We must again raise the sight of vision. I received one text after church this morning. A prophet said, I know what we're supposed to do next. Here it is, preacher. Well, I'll wait to hear from heaven rather than from that person. But they may be the catalyst. I don't know. You just hear me, church. We must never walk by just what we can see. We must walk by faith. And it is only then that we've strengthened the church because we are not a sight people. We are a faith people. Amen. For by grace are you saved through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm not saying just shoot out there and do crazy stuff. 
But I'm telling you, when God blesses, we need to begin to trust him more than we've ever trusted him before. That is how you strengthen the church. Christians walking by faith, not self-dependent, but God-dependent. Then number four, we strengthen the church. When young disciples are trained, when eternal truth is taught, when Christians walk by faith, and we strengthen the church when evangelism is a priority. Evangelism is a priority. Notice it in verse number 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in numbers day by day, daily, every day. Somebody was coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We must again prioritize sharing the gospel. The Great Commission says, as you go, make disciples. That's what they're going to do in chapter 16. As they go on the missionary trip, they, they met Lydia. She sold purple. We'll preach about her. She got saved. They met a little slave girl full of the devil. They shared Christ. She got saved. They were then thrown in prison. And they preached the gospel. And the jailer cried out, oh, what must I do to be saved? We know that John 16, 31, 32 passage. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the jailer got saved. It's a good day when the jailer gets saved. And they were sharing the gospel. Yesterday morning I got a call. From one of our deacons had died. I hopped in the car and I've been to his house many times. This particular deacon is one of the men that have in their retirement years driven me to preaching engagements. I got there and Charles was dead in his recliner where he slept. His sweet wife sitting at his feet and family all around. My friend Charles Cannon died during the night. Well, we met and prayed. I was walking in this morning. It's an elderly gentleman in our church, retired man. He said, Pastor, I'm here at Olive Church. I'm here because Pete Wells and Charles Cannon came and knocked on my door. He said, I wouldn't be here if they hadn't come knocking on my door. The priority of evangelism. Amen. Amen. We've let COVID scare us out of even going to people's house and knock on the door anymore. We must forever raise the evangelism banner. This church was built on evangelism. It's what's grown this church. It's one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. Evangelism. It's why that window's like it is. He came and interviewed us. The artist interviewed and he came back to me and said, Pastor, your people believe in evangelism. That's all they talk about. It's the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. You need to put evangelism in that window. And we did. One that believes, one that didn't, one that died, 
for both, and one said yes, and one said no. One went to heaven, one went to hell. Evangelism. When you prioritize sharing the gospel, you'll episterizo the church. We're in month 12. You've been saved all year. Who have you shared Jesus with? Make it a little easier. Who have you even invited to church? Oh, dear friend, the church is not far from death when we stop telling the gospel story. We call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. She was about as tall as a 10-year-old girl, is the way her biography says it. (laughs) Born in 1840, she grew up to be brilliant, but an unbeliever, a skeptic of the Bible and a scoffer against Christians. Lottie Moon went off to school in Virginia, an all-girls school. Next door, they were having a revival when John H. Broadus, a great Baptist preacher, John Broadus was preaching in that revival and Lottie Moon was invited. She said, I'll go, you bet I'll go. I don't believe anything they preach. I'll scoff and scorn. You won't like it because I can't. And Lottie Moon went to hear John Broadus. She went home that night, and in her biography, Lottie Moon says, A dog led me to Jesus. You read in the next paragraph, and she said, I tried to go to sleep and forget the gospel that old preacher had preached, and I'd scoffed at, but a dog barked all night and kept me awake. And all I could think about was Jesus dying for me. She said, that dog led me to Calvary. God saved her, and when she told it, people were thrilled. They said, oh, my soul. The skeptics come to the Savior. After graduation, she sensed God had called her, like some of you believe God's called you to ministry. Some of you have made that public, others have not. You need to walk and tell me this morning that God said, you're to be a preacher, you're to be the missionary, because God's calls in your heart. God called Lottie Moon, and she gave her life to missions. She served 39 years in China. She wrote volumes of letters back home to Southern Baptists saying, send more people, send more money. Send more people, send more money. Send more people, send more money. The need is large. If you go to where she died, or where the church where she was a part of, there's a simple little marker in the yard of the church. I'd give anything to go see it. The Chinese church engraved in Chinese on that little marker about Lottie Moon, these words. Oh, how she loved us. That's all they said. 
Oh, how she loved us. She got sick. They put her on a ship going home in 1912. She got to the port in Kobe, Japan. And she died in the hull of that ship on Christmas Eve, 1924. Southern Baptist took her name because of her dying at Christmas. That's why we call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering that we give to help what was in her heart for the gospel. And when we stop prioritizing church planting and missions and evangelism, the church will fossilize and move into paralysis. And the light will go out. We dare not let the lamp go out. At Olive Baptist Church where 12 people from Canoe, Alabama came and risked their lives to plant a light. We dare not do it. You're the light. He said, preacher, I wouldn't even know how to share the gospel. Well, number one, shame on you if you don't know. And shame on us if we hadn't trained you. But there's enough tracks out here in this media center that's brand new. There's enough tracks in there to sink a ship. Go get you some. Just give it away. I keep tracks in my pocket all the time. Right here. I don't always give $100 away with a track, but I often do. People hand me money and I... I was in Arby's the other night. Chipley, Florida. <laughs> My wife was with me. We were coming back from a meeting to Baptist College of Florida and Graceful. And she said, I'd like some tea. I said, all right, let's go right in here. And we went into Arby's and there's two girls standing there. And I got the Holy Ghost bump. I began to try to talk to her all the while. My wife was talking to the other lady down here. We were dressed like this because it was a formal affair. She asked my wife, have y'all been to church? We said, no, we've been to a retirement. But it's church folk. So Liz began to share Jesus. She kept cutting her eyes over there at me. Like, are you listening to God? Get your wallet out. Get, what are you doing? So I asked those two girls, I said, have y'all ever had a tip working at Arby's? They said, well, no, not really. I said, we well, all split this. I said, I work for a man, an old man, who gives me money, let me bless people and tell them Jesus loves them. That sweet African-American girl that was there, she got tears and she said hear me girls she said I was a drunk seven years ago till I met Jesus I've been clean and sober seven years 
And I'm living for the master, my king. I said, well, use that track on somebody else. And tell them, Jesus says, listen to me. Oh, oh, how she loved them. Oh, how she loved Do you know evangelism just begins with you loving somebody? Then you get to the gospel. You're going to tell them they got to know the truth. You get to Calvary and the empty tomb. But if you're mean about it, they usually don't listen. Oh, how she loved us. It's why we do the ministry village. It's why we have people at the door. When mean people come in, we say, good morning. Try to get you to smile. Some of you, it doesn't work. Oh, Pastor, I wouldn't be here this morning if Charles and Pete hadn't come to my door. (laughs) I reached over and grabbed old Charles' cool hand, prayed. It's going to be tough Christmas for Logan, you back there? There he is, Logan's granddaddy I'm talking about. Miss Sue. But do do, do y'all know where Charles is going to have Christmas? That's better than any cake you're going to have, I guarantee. That's better than any presents you're going to get on the tree. He's going to have Christmas with Jesus. He's absent from the body. Present with the Lord. He wasn't there. Already gone. Amen. As Junior Hill says, he talked to a guy's last, fellow, his last name was Pease, P-E-A-S. When he found out he had died, they couldn't find him. He said, it's all right, Pease is shelled out and gone to be with God. Amen. Yeah. Absent from here. I want to ask you, are you ready to die? Are you re- if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. And I'm here to tell you, God loved you enough. He came. That's what Christmas is about. He went to Calvary at the cross, raised him from the dead, and he, oh, how he loves you. And he says, whosoever will, let him come. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. John's going to sing, and we're going to invite you to come. But before we do, I want to ask everybody, nobody moving around, I want to ask everybody, bow your head and close your eyes right now. Just bow your head and close your eyes here for 60 seconds. Listen, and reach over and take the hand of the person next to you. Just reach over and take the hand of the person next to you. Now, your head's bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around, please. If you're saved, I want you to squeeze the hand of the person that you're holding. Just squeeze their hand. Yet, you've said to them, I know him, I'm ready. you couldn't do that but you say today I need him just say that to the person next to you by squeezing their hand right now and by squeezing their hand you're just saying I need him I guarantee you that person will come with you this morning if you need to come they'll step out and come help you if you need the Lord when we sing this song the very first word I want you to stand up and don't even lock your knees just get up coming Saying yes to Jesus. If you're here and never been baptized like these three you saw, you get up coming. 
If you're here and need a church, need to put your life in this church, just get up coming today. Your obedience may lead somebody else to have courage to step out and to come. I'll pray. John will play. The Spirit of God will call. Father, have your way in this moment. Draw people to yourself. Save our lost friends and build the church. And above everything you do in this room, get glory, I pray. And I believe you for harvest in Jesus' name.